for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organizations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker, and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business, Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges joined by relevant experts and real life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. This week we're talking about managing misconduct and I'm delighted to have Eleanor Manley with me to help us on this topic. Eleanor is the co-founder and CEO of Metaspace which equips HR leaders with a misconduct case management system. So she's a real expert in this because it tackles the whole pipeline from prevention to reporting and resolution. Now, Eleanor, I'm going to let you um, explain a bit about your background, but I know that actually you're a, a machine learning engineer, which sounds super clever, um, by background, and you're passionate about data science. So would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, well, firstly, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Um, as you mentioned, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Metaspace, and we help companies uh, manage workplace misconduct through the prevention, reporting and resolution. Um, my background is in data science, specifically in um, NLP, so natural language processing. I'm sure you've seen all of kind of the very hot topic of chat GPT, and that's basically what type of machine learning that I do. Um, so what we aim to do is to companies through the whole um, kind of pipeline of misconduct and do it in a way that is as data-driven um, and as objective as possible. Okay, and that's really important, I guess, for the whole sort of um, inclusion message. What's what's really interesting there, I just wanted to flag that when I saw NLP on here, that means neuro-linguistic programming to quite a lot of HR people, <laughs> completely different from natural language processing. So I'm very glad you explained that difference. So, so that's so. In terms of your background, is that's how you became interested? Or do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got into this whole topic? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I, my co-founder and I were actually witness to a sexual harassment case. Um, it affected half the women around us whilst we were in tech. So my co-founder Helena, who is the CEO, uh, was doing cybersecurity at the time, and as mentioned, I was in data science. And we just saw that sexual harassment was affecting so many women around us. Um, the the specific case that we were witness to was was very bad. Um, as mentioned, you know, half the women were affected around us, and it went completely unresolved. So we then went on a mission for the next eight months in just researching and data collecting on the proliferation of sexual harassment in the workplace, really trying to understand its roots cause, um, perhaps how we could try mitigating it. And that really just snowboarded into, well, actually, it's not just sexual harassment at work, but it's all forms of misconduct that are affecting employees and companies. And you know, companies shouldn't just be trying to mitigate, prevent and prevent it from an ethical perspective, but they also need to be doing so from a financial 
and from a legal perspective today? Yes, I guess, yeah, I can see the repercussions could be high in terms of if people bring cases, but also in terms of um, retention and just the whole sort of people not progressing, um, brand management, it, it knocks on in lots and lots of ways, doesn't it, I guess? Yeah, so the, the story of retention is a really important one that you mentioned. Um, women are, in fact, more likely to resign than to report a case of workplace misconduct. So, yeah, you're you're really very, very right when you talk about retention. So one of the things um, I suppose I, I assumed that I understood the term misconduct, but I feel like maybe I don't understand it in the way it's defined. Would you define it for us? Mm -hmm, definitely. Um, so we define misconduct as the sort of large umbrella term for anything that could be um, sexual harassment, um, bullying, discrimination, but also fraud and bribery. Um, I was speaking to in HR recently and we were speaking about kind of the different um, ways that we could define uh, misconduct that could be you know a breach of the company ethics but it could also be a breach of law um, so it is a very broad term and we also help companies kind of refine and define what workplace misconduct means uh, to make sure that it's clear within their policies as well. Yes because I was I mean, I was thinking whether it links to underperformance, but I guess it is, it isn't, it isn't, this is actually very much something that is people breaking the rules or values or, you know, it, it's, it's, it's much, well, it wouldn't ever have, um, people wouldn't do it, well, they wouldn't do it by accident or not. Would you say it has intent or would people, uh, maybe lack of awareness, what causes it? That's a brilliant question. It's one that we are constantly trying to answer. Um, so firstly, I like to set the premise that unfortunately it's not necessarily about intent, but it's about impact. So, you know, we do definitely see cases where it definitely wasn't the intention. Um, and we like to think of them as, you know, should this be a case that needs to be investigated or is this rather a learning moment? Uh, so a moment where HR can sit down with the person and explain, you know, the impact. Um, but really, I think, you know, when it comes to this idea of, um, you know, intent versus impact, it also comes with a question of, well, today we're living with a lot of companies that have moved to a hybrid environment where there's a new set of etiquette around Zoom that people haven't necessarily understood. And also, you know, there's a very important thing of cultural differences that a lot of multinational corporations experience. And, you know, having to people from different nationalities and different backgrounds is a real asset. But it also means that the companies have to be um, prepared and have different um, kind of trainings and, and policies and also tech in place to make sure that, you know, things like misconduct doesn't happen unintentionally. And what do you mean by tech in place? What would you put in to, to prevent it from, from happening? Well, this is where I shame I shamelessly plug in Metaspace, obviously. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so what we do is we help companies um, with tech. So, you know, with the prevention, reporting and resolution of workplace misconduct. So what this means in practice is that we have a mobile application that allows for employees to report all types of workplace misconduct anonymously if they choose, as well as on the company side, a case resolution center, uh, which basically um, allows HR to receive the case, 
communicate with the employee even when they're anonymous through an integrated chat and we also give them insights of best practices and kind of legal frameworks that they must follow depending on the type and the location of the case. Really the goal here is to de-escalate cases, to reduce the time to resolution and you know empower HR to feel like they resolve as many cases they can before necessarily having to resort to going to their legal team or going to a C-level executive with it. So trying to nip things in the bud then, I guess, in terms of um, by getting to it earlier and addressing it and, and coming to a solution earlier, ideally. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's a perfect way to put it is we're trying to nip it, um, misconduct in the bud before it really becomes a problem. And then that links to our final pillar, which is prevention. Um, and prevention is the deep tech aspect of the business where we have a natural language processing algorithm. As I mentioned, that's how a computer understands text. Uh, that can detect written harassment. And the goal there is to really basically ensure that people are using safe language and that, you know, you you can somewhat say to someone that if that you're receiving a message that you feel uncomfortable with, that you can report it straight away. And in terms of that, I mean, so the language processing thing, so um, so that would, pick, would it have, it would pick up words or something that would, well, I mean, there's certain words that you can imagine would be automatically offensive, but it, are there subtleties in terms of how people might feel harassed by pressured or anything? I'm just trying to understand how a computer could interpret something that's more subtle, subtle if you like. Yeah, that's a really important point. Um, thank you for bringing it up. So I think what in and I'm going to get a tiny bit technical so forgive me um but when it comes to natural language processing you have something called dictionaries so dictionaries is basically a list of words that a can um basically you know flag up if that happens so let's say if something is perhaps um I don't know a swear word or perhaps it's um you know a very like a gendered offense or a racial offense automatically that would pop up but what and and that is you know having a dictionary of words like that you know in the workplace is also important however what becomes interesting is rather when you're able to add context and subjectivity to it so the best way I think for me to explain is to give you an example Lucinda so if you and I are you know sending each other emails and I say oh Lucinda you look so nice today um, if we have you know, a friendly relationship, um, that's not something that should necessarily flag up. Yeah. Um, however, if if we don't, um, and you know, I've said that you look good, you know, multiple times over a, a period of time, or or you know, I you just don't feel comfortable even that first message. That's something that should also be be flagged up. So what happens is we have the algorithm that's able to detect the very gray areas, like the example that I gave. And you, Lucinda, on your side, when you receive that email, it basically pops up and asks you if you're comfortable with that message. Um, When you then can say, you get that pop-up, you can say, well, yes, I'm comfortable. And the pop-up goes away and it learns that between us, it doesn't have to be as, um, it doesn't, have to kind of appear as frequently because you know you've said that actually perhaps we have a comfortable relationship um but however if you say oh no actually I don't feel comfortable with this message it would allow you to you know explain why you don't feel comfortable with that message 
and also asks you whether you want to save it uh, and learn from your own context and the within companies that instead of just having a, a dictionary which would have you know words that I think all of us know <laughs> shouldn't be used in the workplace we're rather about trying to create these kind of microcosms of understanding between not only each individual but each department and each company well wow. so so the devil's advocate I suppose from a workplace point of view my head's gone everywhere on this in terms of first I won't go down there why isn't Facebook and Twitter and social media using this? Or maybe they are. We'll put, I'll save that for it. I'll, I'll call it a state with work. Um, but I, I suppose the disadvantage that people might feel is that this is a big brother washing them. So basically it's scanning all of the email traffic, is it, between people? So firstly, um, we never collect data unless it's flagged by the user. Um, so we're not in the business of just collecting emails. Um, and secondly, companies already have all your data so if you're sending emails we always you know I like to remind people that nothing is confidential if it's on a workplace email server Um, (laughs) but we do ask for a double authorization so you know we're asking the authorization from the company and from you and then on top of that we only collect the data that is in fact flagged by you um, so, you know, we're very much in the business of ethical AI. Um, and for us, it's, we only think there's value in collecting the data which, you know, you have, have tagged yourself. Okay, so so it sounds very clever, this stuff. And, and I suppose it sounds, uh, I, I'm thinking, when we hear the term whistleblowing, would it be like a whistleblowing? Is it similar or is it same or different to whistleblowing type case management? Yeah, so that's a, that's a very good point. So yeah, whistleblowing definitely uh, would fall under um, our reporting application for sure. And you know, although we have recently moved to the to the US and are concentrating on the US market, Helena, my co-founder, and I started the company in Spain um, at the same time as the EU whistleblowing directive was coming to light that states that all companies in in Europe have to have whistleblowing systems um, that avoid retaliation. Um, so I think, you know, whistleblowing has, has become more and more the norm. But unfortunately, from our perspective, we think that reporting alone is just simply not enough. In fact, we think reporting alone is, is useless. It does nothing if you don't have preventative measures and resolution in place because people simply don't report if they don't trust their company. Yeah. So, OK, great. That, so um, if you obviously you've, you've got some very clever system, you've been you're working internationally um what could you tell us about how whether whether it's growing in terms of misconduct is is it a bigger issue or are we just reporting it more um is it more prevalent in certain locations or industries I mean you mentioned you experienced it in tech so maybe it was very heavily male dominated environment and you know notice it more was or or not was it that what sort of um themes have you discovered Mm -hmm. yeah I think what's been most shocking um to me personally is today third of employees um, have been harassed remotely. So this means that in the age of remote work, which has obviously offered, you know, an amazing possibility for a huge part of the world to to live and work differently, has also brought out new challenges when it comes to uh, workplace misconduct. So, you know, when you start thinking that a third of people have been uh, harassed remotely, and this is through email, Zoom, uh, texts, phone calls, etc., it really starts to pose a different problem for for HR because 
you know, when you're at the office, you might start to be able to see things, even if someone hasn't reported it. Um, however, obviously, when you're remote, HR aren't psychic. <laughs> so, you know, it puts more pressure on the employee to have to report these things. Um, and so, you know, as we're moving towards that, we're also seeing, and this is more specific to the US though, um, is that the cost of lawsuits have gone up by 26% in the last three years um, linked to retaliation um, and also employ um, employees complaining about misconduct being mishandled in their companies. Okay. I mean, I'm just thinking, I'm just Re reeling from your things so you're saying a third of people have been uh, have experienced it right remotely so i in the last three four years because we've been only really been three years right a third of people that so would you say though does that mean there are certain companies that have that kind of culture and all of them in there or would you say cut any company and a third of people have experienced it because it's quite scary really that if you're listening to it I'm sure for anyone thinking, okay, so that means then if it's a third of my organization or is it just certain types of business that have got that culture? Mm -hmm. So so firstly, we we do try to hone down that um, unfortunately misconduct happens in every single company. You know, you can have the best culture, but especially companies that have grown rapidly in the last kind of few years or few months and that are hiring rapidly, it's a lot harder sometimes um, to be able to be sure about, you know, what's going on within your organization. So firstly, you know, we know that the companies at the most risk tend to be fast growing ones, so hiring rapidly. Um, we also know the ones that are the highest risk are the ones with the lowest HR to employee ratio. So HR to employee ratio refers to per 100 employees, how many people in HR are there? So on average, companies have 3.5. So per 100 employees, there's around 3.5 people working in HR. But we found for a lot of fast-growing companies that that number actually drops to below zero, uh, zero below one, sorry. <laughs> um, so you basically have, you know, maybe only a couple uh, per 300, 400 employees. Which means um, so, you yeah. processes, and they, they, you can see, I can see why that happens, because uh, often fast-growing businesses haven't got their processes in place, and exactly. are so busy, kind of almost firefighting, recruiting, etc., that you haven't necessarily got time for more of the um, pastoral type stuff that that mm -hmm. might prevent this sort of thing. Mm -hmm, definitely, and and what we also find today, I would say, there's you know, and, and listen, you're going to know this better than than I do, but there's kind of three categories at HR having to, as you mentioned, kind of firefight through. You have recruiting, you have culture, and then you have operations. Yes. Um, and what we found as well with a lot of companies is that they seem to put a lot of money in um, recruiting and resources into culture today. But, you know, this idea of kind of... Um, um, usually it's linked to recruit more people right so like to make their brand and culture seem great to recruit more people um, and when you don't then concentrate on processes and operations that puts you at a huge risk for misconduct because well you immediately then just have to outsource it to legal basically and yeah. usually that's extremely expensive but it also escalates cases because a lot of times you actually don't need to to speak to legal about it or or you just, you know, I think it's something 
and and it's over 80% of cases that are received within companies are interpersonal or considered interpersonal. So that means that usually you just need to have people sat down and and ask, you know, what's going on? How can we resolve this? Um, so if that's the case, and if all of them are getting, um, you know, are then kind of delegated to, to legal, it's going to be a huge cost for, for the company, but also it's going to be, it's going to make cases go on for a lot longer. Um, so on average, we know the cases take three months for HR to respond to, which is obviously scary <laughs> um, and can take up to, to, you know, more than 360 days to actually find resolution. Um, and by that point, you then start understanding the number of why people are more likely to resign than to report. Um, because, you know, when they start seeing that, you know, perhaps one person their organization has reported and they they see the mess that it is they decide well it's just not worth it for me I, it's better for me to just resign um so you know we think that misconduct has you know such a, a widespread effect across an organization uh, be it from talent retention be it from underperformance uh, be it from just general you know equity and inclusion within the workplace that it's so important to get right yeah, and actually, I can totally see why people would choose to leave because it's just incredibly stressful. It's like it's like a divorce, right? You don't want to if you can avoid going mm-hmm. in. Lawyers involved, it's more expensive, it's more stressful. You know, all of those things. So, I guess um, that's quite a natural step then for us to think about. You said you've got a toolkit in your um, in your thing, and it is we're saying the solution has to be prevention. Um, have mm-hmm. you what, what practical steps have you got for listeners now if they were trying to? Um, address misconduct, measure it, um, you know, stamp it, stamp it out early. What sort of tip? Mm-hmm. Would- yeah, that's a great question. I think what we really encourage every single company that we work with is that you need to look at the whole employee life cycle. So really, like top of the funnel from the moment that they learn about your companies and perhaps are thinking to applying to the moment that they might exit. Um, And so you need to make sure that your employees are protected and your policies are protected throughout. So, you know, I've I've obviously already mentioned, you know, what we do with prevention reporting resolution, um, but I think there are a few other steps that companies um, should be taking. And I like to kind of speak about those as well, because, you have to take a holistic approach. Um, so, you know, top of the funnel, we always talk about just recruitment processes. Um, I think that comes with, you know, making sure that you have intentional bias recognition when you're going through kind of your recruiting process. But also, and this is something that I love because it's so easy to do, is creating neutral job advertisements. Mm-hmm. So when I say neutral, it means gender neutral job advertisements. And you can actually use like something like natural language processing to test whether or not a job advertisement is more geared toward women or men. And that's, you know, processes that you can, that um, we also give to the companies. Uh, Then obviously middle funnel, you have just creating safe workplaces and empowered employees. And that includes, you know, workplace misconduct policies, inclusive work policies, but also the anonymous reporting option that um, that we offer. I would also say that there's something that's, so important about intersectionality uh, so making sure that you know it's not just about you know the classic kind of women and men but it also acknowledges that there's so many people that experience different intersectional in that way and I think that you know, having that bias recognition again but also training is very important 
So pulling it all together really as a package. Leadership, definitely. Um, the last three that I'd mention would be transparent leadership, and that especially comes with pay equity, <laughs> which I think is fundamental. Um, data privacy and security, so making sure that employees are, are you know, uh, feel secure. And you know, luckily, we, we we have kind of actual laws in place for that today. But um, you know, making sure the company is compliant with it. And lastly, you know, exit interviews, um, making sure that you get continuous feedback because we actually came on and were you know invited to to speak with companies after someone had in an exit interview actually said that they were being harassed um or that they had witnessed harassment and that's why they were leaving the company so that's why it's so fundamental to do these exit interviews because you might get an insight and and you know unfortunately perhaps you know you weren't able to retain that employee but that 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 nugget of information insight that they can give you about your company because that's when employees tend to be the most honest is when they exit because they don't have any kind of fear anymore um is is so important for for companies to make sure that they're actually continuously learning about their own organization that's that's quite a comprehensive list that makes a lot of sense in terms of um i mean particularly the exit interview isn't it but but you may not be able to prevent it for that person but it's giving you that insight that you might have been completely Mm -hmm. blind to um something going on so to be able to ca- capture this data and then address it. And then in terms of that, the resolution, those were lots of things about resolution. A lot of it, um, sorry, about, um, I guess, was capturing as well. Would you, in terms of resolving a, a misconduct generally or just as mm-hmm. a sort of overall thing, does it tend to be things like education and training? Is it policies? What what typical things are most effective in because that could be culture change. A lot of this is, is it links to a culture change. What sort of things have you seen have been very successful? Mm-hmm. So there's probably there's in, in the last, I would say, couple of months, there's, there's a few things that we've really learned. Um, you know, at, at Metaspace, we, we, we're continuously learning about this topic as well. Um, so firstly, I think this distinction between is this, you know, one um fantastic case has been reported so like so you have to kind of put in place different ways to encourage your employees to report regularly um and then when we get to resolution of of these reports is this report a moment of learning for your company as you mentioned like is there a cultural change that needs to be done is there a clarification that needs to be made is there a conversation that needs to be had it allows you to de-escalate the cases and I think, as I mentioned, um, you know, more than 80 percent of the cases sometimes are like due to interpersonal relations that, you know, a lot of them do fall into that learning moment category. And then on the second part, when we look at investigation, it's just making sure that your process is airtight, that everyone who receives a case in front of them, be it the head of HR or the head of people, uh, know exactly what they need to do. And so that's why within our platform, we basically have a step-by-step for them to follow. Uh, so usually it's HR who follow this step-by-step. And really what is encouraging is this idea of purely objective investigation. Um, so making sure that it's not just by a case-by-case basis, which unfortunately happens within most um, organization, which basically puts all the pressure on the one person who has to handle the case, but rather there's a set process so the company has agreed for anyone who be in HR or even sometimes we see some C-level execs um, on the platform can actually, you know, resolve a case effectively and, you know, hopefully as, as rapidly as possible. We try to reduce 
the resolution time by 80% um, and, and you know, our step-by-step -step really gives best practices to reach for each company to reach that goal. That's, that's that sounds a very thorough um, in terms of that. So um, I don't know, I think, I think this has been an education for me actually in terms of, of this. And I can definitely see why a case management system will make life a lot easier in terms of helping people through and um, particularly having things at your fingertips, being able to track it, helping people to resolve. I like the idea of the be, being able to record things anonymously and be resolving it anonymously. I can see that that's really, really helpful and practical. Um, if people want to, who are listening to the podcast, want to reach out to you and find out more about what you do, how is it best for them to get hold of you? Mm -hmm, definitely. So you can obviously, I'm I'm very active on LinkedIn and I always post my insights and the data collection um, and also anything kind of linked to misconduct. So please, you can connect to me on there. And obviously, if you would like to find out more about how, um, you know, our digital case misconduct case management system could work for, for your company you can just go on our website and you know uh, plug in your email we'll send you uh, to set up a call perfect and we'll put all those links on the show notes Eleanor, thank you very much for joining us today um, i know we had a, had a couple of little signal problems i'm hoping they'll be all right on the recording because i know you're using your hotspot aren't you in a hotel room so uh it's been <laughs> you've got up early to join us so thank you so much of course thank you so much for having me on the pod lucinda pleasure. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast. <laughs>